Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. Welcome to Girl on the Gov, the podcast, breaking down politics as we know it and removing all the bullshit. (laughs) Because politics needed a (laughs) rebrand. What's up, guys? Welcome back to Girl on the Gov, the podcast. We are so, so excited for this episode today. It has been highly, highly anticipated because we are having Melissa Panika on. She is an associate therapist at Holding Hope Marriage and Family Therapy. She is going to talk to us about going home for the holidays and just in general, how to communicate with your friends and family who disagree with you politically. In such politically divisive times, we all, I think, need a lesson on how to communicate productively. And Melissa is here to help us with that. So I hope it's super valuable for everyone listening who are going home for the holidays or who have just been struggling with having friends and family in their life who disagree with them politically and has maybe caused a divide in your relationship. Melissa is here to help us dissect all of that. And she also didn't know this, but it turns also into a full-blown therapy session for me. So please enjoy. And without further ado, here is Melissa. Well, we are so excited to have you on the show and giving us all of the scoop and background of like how we can have healthier conversations about politics. This is something that Maddie and I have talked about for ages. We're going to try and fit this in one episode, but I feel like this is going to be a repeat offender, if you will. But before we dive into all that, of course, we want to figure out, give us the background, give us your story, tell us about your role. What does your job entail? Give us that whole, whole spiel. Absolutely. And I would be more than happy to come and make this a multi-part episode because like you're saying, there's so, so much to dive into and so many nuances to the stories that we sit with in our office and in our practice. But for starters, I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, MFT for short. I practice at a private practice in New York City, and I do a variety of work with individuals, couples, and families through a systemic relational lens. And so what I mean there is that in my work with clients, any of those clients, my goal is to look at the relationships that are significant in their life and understand how it influences the issues that they're bringing to therapy. And so these relationships are not just our interpersonal relationships with friends, families, and partners, but it's also the relationships that they have with themselves, but also with their gender, their sexuality, their race, ethnicity, and culture. It all matters. And so there's a common misconception that as MFTs, like we only work with couples, with married couples, because it's in our title. But for anybody hearing that for the first time, (laughs) we work with individuals as well, and we work with premarital couples and couples who have been dating for a year and want to dive into what they've noticed already. So it's across the board and really grateful to be in this job that I'm in because I hear a lot of stories and it's nice to be a part of them. Oh my gosh. 
I'm like low-key jealous. I'm like, I want to hear all the tea. Exactly. <laughs> oh, I know. She's got that confidentiality, you know. We can't we can't spill too much tea. But have you worked with anybody that has had these problems with especially in the last four years with their families and talking about politics and kind of just the division we see across our country, but how much it's affecting our families inner dynamics. So have you had to deal with that and help people through that? Yeah, absolutely. I would say, I mean, consistently for sure for the last four years, right? I remember distinctly what the work was like, you know, in 2016 and the years following and even up until this most recent election of just how much space we all needed truly to sit in whether it was panic, whether it was nervousness and all that falls in between, but just like really had a sense of a lot of people holding their breath. And it's really interesting. I think like these last four years, for example, you know, have really helped people throughout I would hope the world, I can more so specifically speak to New York City, but come to therapy just to hold space for that. And so, I mean, I think it goes into like my approach to mental health on the whole is that we're really moving away from this like stigmatized idea that you have to have trauma in your like past childhood or abuse in order to deserve therapy and everyone deserves therapy. So you know, in the practice too, in my work, I really help clients move away from old disruptive narratives that can come from oppression, can come from trauma, but can even just come from like negative patterns that they've experienced throughout their life. And so therapy is for everybody. And especially like, as we're talking about this particular topic of like families, relationships, and politics, it's, we never got a crash course in relationships through any part of our schooling. I certainly didn't even in, you know, being in the psychology field, I got taught what to do and, and how to like put this lens, but I specifically never got the crash course for myself of like, how do you do this? How do you relate to people? We learn it along the way. And so sometimes we need that little extra support in order to undo some of the dynamics that we've grown up with. That's such a good point too. I feel like everyone's like kind of a creature of their context and you don't know necessarily whether that context is good or good or bad until you start experiencing other contexts or you, you know, how to cope with those different contexts. So I think to your point about that sort of crash course, like we, you know, I could definitely relate. And I think like on the political end of things that can really be so key because people, what we call like ideo silo and really only are within the the small grouping of people or thoughts or opinions that they're used to and they don't know how to step outside that or vice versa. So interested just generally too through this lens to sort of hear, you know, your thoughts on how to, you know, create better pathways for these relationships. Yeah, for sure. And I'm happy to because I think it's, you know, I'm hoping, I think before we like jump in fully, one thing that I want to acknowledge is I I move in this world as a white, cis, heterosexual woman. And I come from a field that has predominantly grown from white voices, but it, it's beautifully growing where, you know, we have more and more folks who are stepping into spaces and deserve the microphone. And so I love the trajectory that I've seen personally throughout these last couple of years with the field. 
But my hope is that our conversation today is going to span cross-culturally. But since everybody's story is different and if they're struggling, like your listeners deserve individualized, specific care to their struggle and how they move in the world. That being said, you know, I think this is an incredibly important topic just to think about how we approach these conversations. And regardless of culture, you know, us as human beings, we enter this world in a way that we need connection in order to survive. So if you even think about, you know, what connection to our caregivers, to our family, to our loved ones means for us, it goes back right from the moment that we're born. And so I think when we're talking about these conversations about politics, we're really talking about like politics is the content, but we're also talking about how we're managing disconnection and the worry about disconnection, right? And so I think like when we're thinking about how polarized we feel in the disconnection, that can be really, really scary. And so now more than ever, you know, we're seeing this more and more in therapy, in our offices for folks who are coming in to manage that disconnection. Just to remember that as like, as we're opening this up and as we're thinking about like going home for the holidays, to have that conversation really start within ourselves around what's happening for me when I think about going into these conversations. That's our intrapersonal, so like the within ourselves. And I think it's a really beautiful start to those conversations, even like as we're talking about like pre-holidays. And I know folks have gone through their holidays up until this point, but as we're going into Christmas and even New Year and even next year, right, we are to step back and say, what's happening for me before I even start that conversation? Well, that that is the perfect segue to just start then talking about just First, this, I think a lot of people have this pre-holiday anxiety when they go home and especially for people who kind of the holidays sometimes are, that's the only time of the year you're really seeing your family. And so there's a form of anxiety that comes with that with just, you know, the basic questions of like, why are you single? Like, what are you doing these days? Like those anxiety questions, but especially these days with the environment we are living in, this topic of politics is very pertinent in our family dynamics these days. So, you know, in a time where everything has just become like a hot button issue and pretty divisive, how do you prepare for a tough mentally draining conversation with your family, especially regarding politics? Yeah, it's a great question, right? Of like, how do I step back and even gear up? I think you're hitting on a really good point of like those Right now, the hot button topic is politics, but we approach that when it's, why are you single? Why haven't you left your job? Or why don't you have a job, right? Like, why haven't you finished school? Any of those that can really make us feel small. When we're thinking about gearing up for, like, going home for the holidays, to step back and I think a good rule of thumb is to connect before you respond. And so when we're thinking about going home for the holidays and talking to folks who in our family who may have different political views is to check that story before we get there, right? So what is the story that I'm telling myself about this person that because of their political views? And there's pieces of that story that are true, right? And it's not to all be dismissed and be like, oh my gosh, I'm just creating a story in my head, but more of 
like what is the story that I'm telling myself and then how am I organizing around that story? So am I sitting there thinking that Uncle Joe is going to immediately put on his red hat and sit at the dinner table and start going off about how this election is fake, right? So even there you can tell like what is the story that I'm already gearing up for because our body starts to respond to that. Right? So even if you think about this, all right, if I'm creating the really reactive heightened story, how is my nervous system immediately going to be keyed up as I go there? So even if I were to ask you both right now, like I know for me, when I think about approaching like a really hard topic, even when doing this work, it still happens to me, right? And I check in with my nervous system about how I organize and how I respond even physically to the idea of conflict, my heart starts racing. I start to get hot. I get butterflies in my stomach. So I wonder like if I were to just ask you both like really quick to take inventory of like what happens for you when you think about a conflict starting. Oh, that is tough. I honestly, this is going to sound weird, but I just stop breathing. Like I always, I just forget to breathe. And then I realized like a minute later that I've held my breath for a full minute and I'm like, okay, well, this would have been great if I were swimming. Like, why am I like this? Sam's like, whoa, I can be in the Olympics. Michael Phelps, watch out. Seriously, it's like, where was this skill when I needed it? Like now I think I like, I've aged out. (laughs) Sammy, you did such a perfect thing of like, there's gifts in that. And even from like, if we bring that really down of like our fight or flight system, it's like our nervous system is coded for danger, but there's positive consequences of that too. Like this would be great if I was holding my breath and it's a nice thing to come back to but it's interesting like in conflict that that's going to tee us up wonderfully for swimming it's not going to tee us up wonderfully for the conversation because with our shallow breathing also comes a danger response right of like i'm holding my breath something's wrong and it is so okay that that's what's happening this is our body's way of alerting us of like something's going on and so like i need to pay attention to it And even when we're stepping back and thinking about like, before I even go home, what is that? Because you might, and perhaps you are going home for the holiday, right? And you are going to approach this. Like, how can I check in with myself of when I stop breathing? And how do I remind myself that that's the moment that I need to take the extended breath and make sure I recall like four, four, six breathing. So we breathe in for four, hold for four, out for six, and we start to send our nervous system those nice responses of like, I am okay. It's oftentimes where we can like have the information. I know that when I'm in that place, I can almost like forget the things that I want to say, right? And we forget what we want. Yeah, totally. That's me. I feel like in any time I'm by myself, I'm like, oh, I have like every argument on lock. Like I will destroy anyone who comes for me. But when I'm in that moment, I think I'm also just innately very shy person. So when I'm in those moments, I just kind of freeze. All my facts are gone. All my like arguments are just like forgotten. And I get nervous. I get sweaty. Sam, you like stop breathing. I feel like I like breathe too much. I'm like, okay. <laughs> well, I think too, even when I think about our work style, Maddie and I have like the opposite types of anxieties. Like the thing I get anxious about, she's like, what are you like you're fu- like you're crazy you're losing it like reel it in and then like the opposite I mean in a work environment it's perfect because we balance each other out in that way but it is funny thinking about okay what are our responses to this stuff and like how do we like kind of come down from it or 
how do we figure out how to react and whatnot and understanding that if you don't stop at that moment where your body is thinking oh shoot there's a conflict like something's about to happen and thinking about the why and all the causes I don't know how the the next step is going to go well because then I think about too like moments in which then you're reactive from that all the facts go to the wayside or you start spewing too many facts which is probably like my end of things where I'm like let me tell you and then god help everyone in my sight if you don't understand the why you're not going to be able to move forward and figure out how to fix anything or how to go about productively so from those reactions what are some ways to look retroactively into the past and be like, okay, what's causing this reaction? Yeah, I think doing exactly what you just said, Sammy, that's a really great way of like, what what happened for me there, right? And sometimes we can't remember, right? Because we're flooded at that time. And But what I mean by flooded is like our nervous system has sent us into that place that it is like pumping to be able to bring us back to safety. And oftentimes that's not where we're in our body and attuned and in the moment. So I think like to come back to this idea of like the anxiety being present right now. So even if we take inventory of what's happening as we go into the next experience, because it is so okay what happened in the last one, right? And we can grow and we can learn from there. But to know that the anxiety is so normal to be feeling right now, right? And that might be like a really simple like obvious thing to say, especially as a therapist, but it really is. And especially right now, because we're talking about a lot of things all at once when it comes to politics and this holiday, and especially right now in time of COVID, we're talking about COVID boundaries and politics are woven through there, right? We're also talking about morality. Am I a good person? Should I be doing this? What's going on? And so we use that anxiety as a gift to be like, this is present for a reason. And so what's happening for me right now so that I can go in for, to make sure that I'm okay, right? And that's the like in the moment awareness that sometimes we can't have when we retroactively go back because it wasn't there then, but we can sure do it now. Or we can start to exercise it now, really. Yeah. Do you think that there is, so we're talking about just like the pre-holidays. So this is before you go. And, you know, we talked about the anxiety and like recognizing how you feel when kind of preparing yourself mentally to go see your family. Should you make a plan of like how you go about it? Should you try to steer clear of it? Because like I find myself just being like, it's not even worth it to get in these arguments. They go nowhere. But then at the same time, it's like if we want to ever get to a place where we can all talk to each other and like each other again, we're going to have to have conversations. So it's this weird in between of, I mean, we'll get into kind of like later how to have productive conversations, but Sometimes I question whether it's even worth it to have the conversations. And I don't know if before you go to the holidays, if you should just be like, okay, Maddie, don't get into it. Just don't talk about it. Or if there's some tangible steps to like prepare yourself to maybe like talk about it in a productive way. Yeah, Maddie, I think that's a really great question, especially. And thank you for giving like your personal anecdote to it too. Of Like, is this even worth it? And I think it's different for everyone, but the reason why I'm saying that too is because everyone's got a different story with their family, right? So even, we're not just talking about, should I have this conversation with Uncle Joe? But it's like, who has Uncle Joe been to me throughout my entire life, 
right? And like, what's the relationship that I have with him prior to this? And we're also talking about, you know, folks where we want to be an ally. And so it's like, what does it mean for me to not have this conversation is also a question that can come up. Mm, that's such a good point. So I think that having the like tactical steps is a great question to ask and it's going to be different tools in everybody's toolbox. So I think when we're saying, should I even have this conversation? We should check in of like, why do I want to have this conversation? I think one thing that is a good thing for all of us to be honest with ourselves and like for the sake of the relationship is, am I using politics to speak for another conflict that I have with this person? because it's so activating right now. So like check in with that. If the answer is no, I've got nothing else going on. We're just in like two different political spheres and I want to like build the bridge or I'm afraid that the bridge is like has been destroyed in the past is take the temperature of, as you say hello to the person that you're like worried about having that conversation with, just see how you're, you feel in that moment and what might be present for you. And so if you're noticing that in that moment, uh, all your entire system is saying, absolutely not, I can't touch this, don't push yourself, right? Because you might not be in the place to have the conversation that's going to be productive and you'll reinforce that narrative of like this conversation can't happen. But if you want to put some other tools in the toolbox to help you get through those conversations, it's permission to breathe. Like we can take a moment and if we're also saying, should I have this conversation? Sometimes like, how am I going to regulate through this conversation that's going to make me feel okay? And so breathing is one of them. But a big thing that I've been speaking for with clients who have had this come up is like permission to not have to respond in the immediate moment if it doesn't feel right, right? So what I mean here is like, if we start to notice that that conversation is getting really activated, then go get a piece of pie, right? <laughs> and take it, like walk around the house with it, right? And say, I'm going to be back. I'm just going to get a piece of pie. And you can return. But that's also a way of like giving yourself this time out to be like, am I okay to go back into that conversation? And if you're not, it's okay. Yeah, totally. Well, no, that's a great strategy. That's what, that's a strategy too. Like no one would really blink about either. They'd be like, oh, she's just getting another piece of pie. Like that, that's normal. <laughs> totally. And I like love that for that reason too. You can use this tool on your own terms. Like no one has to realize that you are activating this toolbox. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And so like to really come back to what you were asking yourself, Maddie, is like, is it even worth it to have this conversation? Sometimes that question is really am I really going to put myself in that position again? And I'm going to feel awful. And then to have it be weighed out by, wait, if I do feel awful, I know what I can do. So when you step back, right, Maddie, I'm going to take you for example, since you asked this question of if I step back and I start to think about like, am I ready to have this conversation? If I put the person in front of me in my mind that I'm having the conversation with, am I automatically in that like fight mode? of like, I've got all the things, right? Like, I know what I'm going to say if they say this. I know what I'm going to say if they say this. Because at that point, we're in a place of listening to respond, not listening to understand. And listening to understand is, it's like a good buzz, buzz phrase. <laughs> so I like that. Yeah, because then we're really not doing what we really want to do is if we're trying to build a bridge back 
from this polarization, right? If we're in the response mode, we're only sticking to our view, right? And we're trying to get that person to think that we're right and see that we're right versus am I trying to collaborate with this person, right? And so if we're automatically, because I get that too, you know, like, Mine happens like in the shower where it's like, I should have said this. Yes, that's me. I'm in the shower, in the car, fully just like having a whole ass debate with myself. I'm like, yep, just killed that one. Right, right. And it's like, oh, you know what? I'm actually glad that I didn't have that conversation because it was probably not the one that was going to go well. That is definitely helpful. Oh my God. And also, well, okay, I guess that like kind of tags into our next question, which was going to be about boundaries and knowing, okay, like, when to sort of like step away, when to know this isn't for me. Is there a way also ahead of time knowing, say for example, you have a family that you totally disagree with on politics. It's just known, it's like a known entity. Is there a way to set boundaries before you guys even meet up? Like you know that the conversation's not gonna be productive. What's a way to start that conversation ahead of time so that at this point when you're not ready for the deep dive debate and discussion about all things political, that you can enjoy the time together and you know, sort of keep the relationship at peace? Yeah, I think so. When we're talking about teeing up boundaries before we even get there, we can absolutely do this. I think, it, and this is where it's going to be like so nuanced for different families of, and also for individuals with like what they're hoping to do and how they're hoping to show up in their family system. But I think when we're talking about setting boundaries prior to, we can have this like collaborative conversation. And this is with the assumption that these, you know, conversations are possible to have with our partner or with our family. But to be able to say, so when we talk about politics, if X, Y, and Z is said, it makes me feel or I feel or my experience is I feel really dismissed. I feel really shut down. I feel really overwhelmed, right? And so we can kind of start this conversation with folks about what the experience of talking about politics in the way that we're currently talking about them is impacting me, like how that is impacting me. If we're in a place where it is unsafe to even open up the conversation about politics and that folks are being berated, they're being really criticized, it's contemptuous. I think this is also, you know, to be able to name that they're so allowed to be boundaries for the folks in the LGBTQ community whose, you know, family just do not believe that their existence in the world is acceptable. And like, that's a stark boundary, right? Of like, you don't need to have that conversation if it's not gonna be safe. But if we're in a place of like, we can hold space of like, I don't personally feel attacked for who I am, is to start teeing up those boundaries about when X happens, Y also needs to happen, right? So like, if we start yelling, can we all agree to take space? Can we all agree that we need like a 20 minute cool down so that we can come back, right? It might be, let's not talk about it while we're at dinner. Let's like talk about it at the beginning of the day or let's talk about it at the end of the night. We can have those boundaries. They're so okay to have. I think it's also more about like the experience of having them. So if we're expressing a boundary that says, you're not allowed to do this because it's not okay for me, mm, that's not like a relational boundary <laughs> expression, right? So we're probably not gonna 
get to where we need when we demand. So we try to collaborate when it comes to boundaries because we have our own and then that family member is going to have their own. Quick break. Looking to make a statement and make a change as we head into the new year? Check out Social Goods, an online store that offers a curated slate of statement-making merchandise that gives back to nonprofits tackling today's most pressing issues. From the Jed Foundation and Fair Fight Action to Planned Parenthood of Greater New York, She Should Run, and more. Best of all, we've partnered with Social Goods to offer a special discount to our listeners. Go to social-goods.com and use the code GIRLINTHEGOV15 at checkout to receive 15% off your purchase. That's social-goods.com and code GIRLINTHEGOV15. That's Social Goods, where every transaction comes with real action. So, okay. So, yeah. So, now we are at dinner. We are at home. The holidays have arrived. Like, here we are. And your Uncle Joe is here with his opposing views. I couldn't even get on a plane without wearing a mask. Or, like, just little things like that can spark the whole conversation, you know? And so, you know, politics naturally comes up. So, how do you... We started to kind of break into this, but how do we start these conversations and have them and have productive conversations without it getting to be a fight? Or especially if in the past it has been a combative conversation and it has been kind of nasty. How do we now come into like a new conversation and be like, okay, maybe we set those boundaries. I don't know. How do we go into that, especially these days? Yeah. And I think like coming off of a previously combative conversation is important to name too, right? Because that is when we're talking like, again, about like that nervous system is like, that's someone that it's going to remember. So we take care of that first. And we make sure that we're doing that self inventory, that check in of like, where am I? And then I think we can go into and know how am I going to relate? And so when I start to speak about my values and my views, I also want to make sure that I'm getting curious with the other person. But then if Uncle Joe is saying, I couldn't even get here without wearing a mask on the plane, we can start to get curious for why that's upsetting for Uncle Joe, rather than to fill in the story of what we think is upsetting for Uncle Joe. Right. And so if we're sitting there, I think like a good way to turn down the dial on combativeness is instead of the response. And I also too just want to name like it's so okay if this response happens because of what's currently happening. (laughs) But when we're talking about how to change it, you know, to not say, of course, Uncle Joe doesn't want to wear a mask because he blah, 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 right? And the whole story there that we fill in because our brain is a beautiful thing and it's going to fill in gaps of information. But we can also take a moment to say, I wonder why for Uncle Joe specifically that is upsetting for him. And curiosity can be so disarming for this cycle that can kick up and can escalate really quickly. And it's hard. I'm like oversimplifying it to an extent too of like how much it requires of us to stay in that like curious, staying in the connection, trying to relate and trying to understand, right? And this is oftentimes where we need the support of, of therapy to like really slow down with ourselves and say, what's going on for me and how do I stay there? Yeah. And how... I have so many questions. (laughs) Like how, okay, so say Uncle Joe, his reasoning for not wanting to wear a mask, 
Maybe it's not necessarily because he personally feels a way about the mask, but it's almost like, just like, you know, all of us have these opinions we have, mostly because of like the information that is fed to us that then makes us feel that way or makes us think that we feel that way. How do you go about, I guess, misinformation and like correcting people? Because again, some of these just super simple things like wearing a mask in a pandemic have become so politicized and then it's just like political talking points become the reason why uncle joe doesn't want to wear a mask instead of like okay let's understand you know how you feel about it because like what if the feelings coming from the misinformation but it's not coming from like personal experience because i feel like the ones that are personal experience like at least in my experience with this, it's like, okay, then you can continue to ask those questions and sort of pull back the layers. And you're like, maybe I don't get it, but I like see where you're coming from. But I think when it's like, when the facts, when it's supposed to be coming from a factual source in a way, and it's not adding up like that, add almost like asking those additional curiosity based questions, like becomes harder because you're sort of like, you must feel like you're putting them on trial. But if only you knew, you know, and I feel like that's where often it like gets really tricky or becomes combative again, because you're like, this isn't your experience. This is like mis misinformation moment. So I guess the question then too, is like, how do you like continue to like move through those points of curiosity or those questions without it becoming sort of a war of facts. Yeah, because I hear what you two are saying. Like at that point, we're actually not relating to Uncle Joe. We're relating to the news team, right? And we're relating to the information. And sometimes it's harder to have the relationship with that than our uncle who we've known our whole life, right? And so there, I mean, the one thing that I can think of right now is asking for permission, Right. So when we're talking about giving information, we, the three of us here, have talked about like knowing ourselves and understanding where our nervous system is. But the other person across the table has their own stuff happening as well. And so what I think can be helpful in terms of staying in the relationship is, Uncle Joe, do you mind if I share with you something that like I've learned recently about what was going on? And if Uncle Joe says no, like we respect that. We can say, okay, that's okay. I have something if you feel better about it later, right? Like we can still stay in there of, or we can share our experience in that moment, right? And say, this is hard for me that we can't collaborate, right? Like this is really hard for me that we can't share back and forth. And so we can still keep that connection when by speaking for the experience that we're having in that moment too right and so we're going head to head at that point or we're taking it from going head to head with uncle joe and his information and starting to come back to let me talk to my uncle about what this is like when we have a difficult conversation because that's threading back in the this disconnection feels really tough and yeah it's it's really hard to sit there if we are bursting at the seams with like, but I read this, but I read this, but I read this. And to stay in this place of like, wow, this is really frustrating that I can't share this with him because we're just in two different places. And I think at that point too, is we can come back to ourselves if we're not okay to stay in that conversation and we don't want it to be about the battle of facts because it doesn't feel good for the relationship anymore we can sidestep into self-compassion and be like, it's so okay that I'm frustrated about this. It is so okay. 
Yeah. What are some, I guess, then tools to to have a productive conversation? Because I think across the board, whether you're in the holidays or not, like we have all lost grasp of how to have a productive conversation with each other and like humanize each other. I I love what you said earlier about how when you go into those conversations to not be ready with all your facts and your arguments, but ready to understand. And I guess some literal tools to use when having a productive conversation, isn't it good to use we and trying to talk about a like mutual struggle? Okay, you might think this is the way to approach it, but I think it's this way, but we both kind of have the same end goal. And how do we get there? What are these like tools we can use to have productive conversations and like find that compromise and like understand each other? Yeah, you're absolutely right, Manny. Of like, I want to, I think, speak for something that's important here too, because the I statements, the we language is, I think, becoming like more, and thankfully, because it's a fantastic tool, is becoming like a really great, making its way through the social spheres, right? Of like, here's what we should do in opposition to like doing the personal attack. I, I think like in the conversations that we've had so far, it's also making sure we're genuinely in that place of saying we, right? And so that we're not just stamping the we on the conversation because people are smart. We get this felt sense of like when somebody is like not being genuine. And so to like step back and say, I'm doing all the things that I need to do in order to stay connected. And now I'm going to use the language that speaks for that connection. And that's the, I feel we all, we both, right? And to say that. So that's a really great tool. On the flip side of it, I can speak for a little bit about what I know can escalate that conversation. And that's when we're saying, this is bull. This is crazy. I don't understand. Even when we're saying like I statements, I don't understand how you can possibly think that that's a real thing. That's escalated, right? And it's automatically going to send this covert message to the other person of, I don't respect you, right? Like, I don't believe you. I don't even want to be in this conversation anymore. And so we have the both and of like, we're using the we, we're using the I, and like, this is my experience and collaborating and going towards understanding in opposition with those like critical and contemptuous statements that can be the powder keg for these conversations. And we can probably go, I know, Sammy, you were talking about reflecting in the past, right? Of like, we can probably do the reflection there of what are the points in the conversation where I lit the powder keg and what do I want to make sure like I remember for the next one. And to answer your question, Maddie, of coming back to like those tools is there's an array of tools that are going to feel okay for family systems in different ways. But I think when we're talking about like human connection, like the language that we use is really important. No, I love that having like the different language tools and like thinking about it in a different way. I think it's really easy to like you're thinking about yourself and to be like self-serving in these moments, but you do have a view, a political perspective on something. It doesn't just involve you. It does involve a larger perspective and a larger grouping of people in general, first off. And then therefore it does impact who you're having the conversation with as well. It is a more than one scenario with a little more than one essentially end goal and such. So I think it's really interesting to think about using we and thinking about the whole, because the conversation really is about the whole. It's not about the I. So 
that kind of transitionary thought is really interesting of like how to go about it. However, I do have a question. So say, okay, you're sitting there, we're back at the table, right? We're like, oh my gosh, Uncle Joe, how are you doing? Like, how's your like December going? It's cold. Okay, good, good, whatever. You get past that and then they bring up something political. They're the ones, they start this like a whole circus of arguments. How do you bring it down? You're like, okay, you know what? You even reflect a little bit. You're like, this is not the moment for me to have this conversation. This is not the safe place and whatnot. But you want to bring it back down so that things can move through the the night, the week, whatever it is smoothly. How do you de-escalate that situation? There's like physical science about what it takes for our, and this comes from the Gottmans, if anybody wants to do some like side, <laughs> side research about when we're in an interpersonal cycle about how long it takes once we've hit that threshold of fight or flight to come back down and it's 20 minutes. And like, we are not going to be able to engage at five minutes if our system is flooded. And so I don't think like at that point in time, it's probably, you know, the best thing to be like, I have this research that right now we are all <laughs> in like our flooded nervous systems, but we might be able to speak to the experience that we're having in like a more personal and relational way of like, guys, I need a breath. Can, I, can we all take a breath? Right. And so I don't know, feel free to like ask me more questions there, Sammy too, but about like what it is that in that moment you might need. But it's also, I think as we're watching a conflict happen, and even if we're a part of that conflict before our eyes, like breathing is such a reminder for our body that like we're alive and we're okay. And so it might seem so simple, like really, we're just going to take a breath there, but truly of like when we're all of a sudden in that place where we're watching other people escalate and we're getting escalated, everybody's in that place of listening to respond. We're not in the listening to understand place. So if we can be the guide coming back to say like, this is what I think I need right now. If anybody else needs it, I'm going to put it on the table. I think that's really smart. Sometimes it's like the simpler, the better, you know, it doesn't need to be necessarily super complex way of like, okay, I'm going to assign this role to this person to de-escalate. I'm going to assign it to this person. We're going to have like this whole, you know, interrelated conversation and try and bring it down that way. It's sort of like, here is an option. I'm giving it to you guys. Do what you want to do with it. And then we'll take it from there. And I think also too, and maybe this is just a little bit of an American thing, but we are pretty independent, you know? I mean, we could like really get into like the political ends of like how people perceive that. But people don't like to be told what to do. The authority factor is so huge. And so I think a strategy like that is really good for our listeners to understand. It's like you can provide the opportunity and still allow people to make their own decisions. No one has to be forced to have a conversation or to back away from one or whatever they want to do. But you've provided them something that they can work with. Right. Sammy, that's brilliant of like the difference between and how we react as humans who value self-autonomy to be like, you need to take a break is not going to be the relational thing there. It's going to be, let me interrupt because I need the break. And let me, if somebody else needs that, that's like opening up the window for permission for somebody else to do that. And it can just interrupt that cycle in that moment too, right? It can just be the pause button that people might need in order to make their own decision to deescalate. Yeah. And when the conversation got heated to a point where people probably got offended, how, how do you go about 
kind of that post-conversation. Should apologies be made? Especially though, how do you apologize for something that you believe so like firmly in and that you're still offended that that person thinks that way? How do you move forward from that? And even if you get to a point when you are like, okay, we aren't going to agree. We tried. We gave it a shot. How do we move forward and keep respect for each other? Just move forward in a healthy way if we're not going to agree politically. How do we how do we move forward, especially when now people are so passionate about what they believe politically? Yeah, I think so. The apology factor, right, is sometimes we can feel like apologies are taking away from our sense of self, right? And even be that I'm admitting that I was wrong. I'm admitting that I did something and I truly don't believe that I did anything wrong. And so therefore I'm not going to apologize, right? That can be like the track that apologies take. And especially when it comes to like differing views and how those differing views might not play nice on the playground with one another is we don't necessarily need to apologize for our view and our value because that is that might be like abandoning our sense of self in that moment but we can apologize for the fact that it's creating conflict with another person right and so it might not be i'm i'm sorry that i feel this way i was wrong because that's taking away from us we're abandoning self perhaps in that moment but to say, you know, I'm really sorry that we're not on the same page. It doesn't feel great for me either, right? I'm sorry that we're at odds with one another. I'm sorry we got heated before. I don't, I miss you this year. And I'm sorry that this was the conversation that we had, right? We're apologizing for the impact on the other or the impact on the relationship, not for believing in a value that feels important for us. So apologies can be that we're admitting that we're wrong and they can mean and acknowledge the impact on another person and the hurt that we've caused. And they can speak for the distress between you and another person and, and, and. There's so much to apologies. I like that. It's almost, it's like the external shell that everything's laying on top of and like trying to figure out a way to like repair the shell before you can even get to sort of the meat of the conversation, which I think is really interesting. However, transition. So, okay. That's like uncle Joe. We're like, we've known you our whole lives. This is like the story. Like we know kind of where they stand, but like let's transition to new relationships. Okay. So you're dating Now I can't think of like another name besides Joe. Oh my God. You're like, okay, you're new to the family. You are meeting the parents for the first time, or maybe you've met them before, but it's like first holiday with them. You are the newbie, new kid on the block, and you know you might not agree. Likely some type of political conversation is going to arise. How do you handle that? Do you just stay out of it? Is that your best bet? It'd be like, okay, like, bet, like, let me just go like put some armor on and hide here. Or is it like you should engage? Are there any recommendations there? Yeah, for sure. I think the the overarching there is it's the collaboration that happens with your significant other prior to going, right? So when we're talking about being the newbie on the block and we're entering into our partner's family system, we have to remember that our partner has an entire history with their family system before we've even entered the picture. And so even to speak for a little bit of personal experience, my husband and I, we have really different communication styles in our family systems. And neither is right, neither is wrong. They just are different. 
but because they exist and because they're different, it means that we have different ways in which we want politics to be addressed in our families. And so when him and I have had not one, several <laughs> conversations about what happens if this is going on, what happens if this is said, we've had to collaborate so that it's safe in our relationship prior to going into another environment, right? And so now more than ever, this is what we're seeing a lot of in the MFT world is couples coming in to like build that alliance with one another because it might not be so much of they differ on political values, but they differ on the ways in which they want politics to enter into the family dialogue when we're all around, right? And that's so okay, but the safety that comes from that allyship is going to extend into those conversations when they come up, when we're at our new in-laws, potential in-laws house, right? And so when we're talking about like the dialogue that we have with our significant other, we really do want to make sure that we're respecting where they're coming from. And so even just, you know, to step into that transparency of like, as my husband and I have collaborated and he's told me that in order to feel respected, in order for him to feel safe, that he's not stepping in to his family, thinking that there's going to be a, converse, a conflict between myself and his family, which I don't want either, right? But in order for him to feel okay, the moment that he and we get there, that safety starts to happen in the conversations that we have. And so although he's going to have his, you know, list of, hey, this is what I would want. If X, Y, and Z happens, I need A, B, and C. But I also have my boundaries as well, right? So I have, if this gets brought up, I don't know if I can't not talk about it, right? And so for him and I, we've had to have this dialogue with, how do we make sure both of us feel okay the moment that we step into that room? And then so that we're clear with one another so that if X is talked about, I can almost look at you across the table <laughs> and we feel okay. And that's honestly sometimes a sense of security that our nervous system needs of like, I'm, I've got me, we've got each other and like, we're okay. Cause we know what we need in this moment. And so if, if we have that dialogue in which things are really clear, and again, this is with the assumption that we can have that conversation in our relationship. If not, that's where support is a beautiful thing to introduce. But we kind of have the script then at that point that creates a lot of safety. And so that when we do go into that moment of, oh, this is now, I'm hearing something that is cueing me up to should I engage or not, right? It's not a matter of like, should I engage? Yes, no. It's should I engage based off of the conversation that we've had, right? And like what we have agreed to together. And that can be distressing for us as well, right? Like if we're respecting our partner's boundaries in their family system, and it might not fully be jiving with what we would do if we were in our family system, we also deserve that break. To like step away and be like, I'm okay. And it might be something that evolves over time. Yeah, absolutely. Especially like how close you become with that family or not, or in what capacity and like 
But I think it's a really good point thinking of it's like, okay, they, they're an entire system. They, from every element, from communication to how they operate on, you know, a day-to-day -day basis, like literally who goes against the groceries. Like every little thing is a part of like a system that they've grown to understand and be familiar with. So you are like the new thing and the new like entry point essentially. So it's like you have to figure out what is necessary before you even step in there. So it's, it's, the, it's the preparation game for the long game is what I'm kind of interpreting as. Yeah. Well, okay, so transitioning to talk about kind of this new political chapter we're going into, this kind of post-Trump era, I have just like a first question about right now this transition, like since the election results have come back, my parents have conservative or Trump-supporting friends and family who kind of since the election results they haven't really heard from they just kind of like gone like black as far as communication goes how would you suggest people reach out to those friends and family that they are normally very close with but right now it's this awkward i guess time because there's also this interesting kind of like political mourning that happens like for both sides when something doesn't go your way especially in an election obviously it happened to Democrats in 2016 and now, you know, the roles are reversed. But how do we reach out in a way that sometimes it can be like maybe feel like patronizing if someone's like, hey, let's talk about it. Seem like you're rubbing it in their face in any way. How do we productively reach back out to those friends and family who are going through this political morning time and A, just acknowledge it, but B, kind of like move forward and promote like having an open mind and like maybe coming together and like seeing what could happen in this new chapter of this new presidency or whatever it is. How, how do we do that? How do we go about that? I love that you're calling it like political mourning. I think that's such a beautiful descriptor of like the heaviness that anybody can feel following an election and to almost give space for that grieving time on one hand. Right. And like understand that the space is being used for that reason. And so I think that can interrupt the like personalizing piece of it that we can make about like not hearing from folks and that there's distance present, but to also like build that bridge back, right? Of like, what do we do to like make the outreach? And there's a beautiful concept of willingness that can come forward here too, right? And so just to know that I'm willing to make this outreach, right? I'm willing to build this back. Like I'm willing to talk about it. I'm willing to address it because it, the willingness there is, is what moves us forward right? with anything, right? I, we're talking about politics now, but it's like the willingness after a fight with our significant other to say, are you okay? Right? The, and that willingness is saying, I want to reconnect again. And so to, uh, to not get into like this patronizing thing of like, so let's talk about it. I think we can also name the reason why we want to talk about it because that's at the heart of that, right? Like the willingness to reach out is also coming from a place of, I miss you. I want to connect with you. And so I want to address this because I know it's been a hard year for different reasons, the election being one of them. But I want to talk about this really uncomfortable thing because I want to feel connected to you again. 
and that might that will take on its own language with everybody nobody needs to go into their family systems or like your parents and their friends like don't need to use my words there but in terms of when we step back and say why do i want to build this bridge back and you know if our answer is because i really want to rub it in their face like not the best way of re-engaging and that's not what we're trying to do but if we're saying, I really miss the connection that I feel with this person, politics aside, and I'm willing to show up for that while also staying true to myself and making sure we don't just sweep this under the rug, that's a beautiful balance. But I think to like soften it so that it's not taking on that like patronizing way is to name why we want to. Like the whys behind that is always so informational and so important. Yeah, totally. So then just talking about this next chapter. So now we are in this place. We have a president-elect who is just proposing totally different things. We're in this new chapter. And our representative's role is very much to not be divisive and to unite us and represent everyone regardless of what party you're in and so again our president-elect joe biden has definitely made like unity a big priority for his administration but it's not just up to our politicians to unite us it's up to us as individuals as well to stay united and not further any political division so what are some things that people can do to work on uniting these relationships and not furthering this divide because again it is totally a big part up to our politicians like who is in office but how do we do it on an individual level yeah accountability is a really big piece of this as well as self-compassion and compassion right so when we're talking about accountability we're talking about president-elect joe biden vice president-elect kamala harris right so we there with them having a big stance on unity yes we want to hold them accountable and i also think that when we hold them accountable it's also creating safety within all of our relationships for folks who might not have supported them and might not continue to support them too but even politics aside this balance between compassion and self-compassion and accountability in our interpersonal relationships create a nice balance of safety because it's i'm going to give myself the compassion for any any of my imperfections because we all have them and ways that I may have shown up in the past, but I'm also gonna acknowledge that and move forward. And that's the accountability piece too, right? So I'm gonna make sure that when I show up in these conversations and when I say that X, Y, and Z political value is important, that I also call out when that's not happening and also being honest with myself of, I'm not okay with this. Instead of doing the, I'm gonna stand behind my candidate no matter what, right? Because we can kind of get ego organized around that as well. But I think that when we're talking about mending this fence too, that having that balance of, I'm gonna be compassionate to the other for still what they believe in, also compassionate to myself for the ways in which I might have lit the powder keg in the past and also hold accountability for what was happening going forward. Yeah, it's so interesting. I feel like it's so easily said than done, right? I just think about how roles were reversed four years ago and just throughout the last four years. It's it's interesting because it's like we want to unite, I feel like, but these issues are such existential issues for people. How am I supposed to just like sit back and let these things happen that I think is could be the end of the world? How do you, as an individual, if there's somebody in office that you just do not agree with and are almost 
feel threatened by in a way due to the values that you hold. I don't know. How as an individual do you, I guess, balance that? And I'm turning this into like my personal therapy session. I knew this was going to happen. Maddie, literally you asked that question. I was like, "Mm." (laughs) yeah, Sam was like, yeah, say more. Which is absolutely fine. (laughs) I'm like thinking about this too, though, because it's such a beautiful question, Maddie. And I have like a million other questions that are like therapist questions to not turn this into a therapy session. Hey, I'll answer them. I'm ready, honestly. Never done therapy before, but. I think like when, just to make sure that I'm hearing your question correctly, is like when there are things going on around me that like politically that send me the message of, oh, this is so not okay for me. This is going outside of the boundaries. I can't just sit back yeah, and watch this happen. I guess I'm curious of like, are we talking about the economic policy that like makes us uncomfortable and we don't feel like it's going to work in our favor? Or are we talking about similar to what I was saying before, like the policies that are being put in place and feel like they are truly infringing on who we are as a human being, right? I think there's a different conversation. No, and I think that's actually a good, I mean, definitely correct me if I'm wrong, I'm not the expert here, but I feel like that could be a good way to check in on yourself and say, okay, like I feel these things are existential to me and I can't just sit back. Maybe it's a good exercise to like check in on yourself and like think about how those things actually affect your life. Maybe that is a good exercise to like actually break down each issue and be like, okay, do I need to feel so strongly about some of these things? Like, because at the end of the day, do they act- are they actually affecting me on an individual basis? But then I'm like a big part of, for me, at least in my politically woke time on this earth. And none of these things have really actually affected my life. And I mean, some things have, but at the same time, my views are so strong because I care about the people who are being affected. So it's like this weird trying to prioritize issues. I mean, that's something we've even talked about on this show just in general. When you're going to vote or something, to really sit back and break down everything and prioritize them and figure out what they mean to you. Right. You're hitting on something that I think is really important. The This might not be personally happening to me, but it's happening to the people that I love. Or is this just something that I don't like? Because the answer might be, it doesn't actually directly impact me, but it impacts people that I care about and I want to show up for them they deserve to be shown up for especially I mean the three of us on this call we are white women too and like what it means for us to step into that role and start to show up for people who have been exhausted of showing up and speaking out and deserve support from us specifically I feel like also these days the way people think politically and your political views and whatever party you identify with has started to affect how people think what kind of person you are and whether they want you in your life or them in your life. I don't know. How do you navigate that of like, okay, this person does not think the same way I do. But again, these are such like existential issues to me that it does affect the way I think about you. Because if you don't care about these things, like the well-being of other people, what if I don't want people in my life like that? Like, how do we navigate that and break that down? It is a really big thing right now. And I mean, when I take a step back and like look at what it means for relationships to evolve over time, 
like we we are humans we are forever allowed to evolve and sometimes at certain points like that means that a connection with somebody changes however at the same time we can say there are there are things beyond the politics that i want to stay connected to this person with and for right and just weighing that out as well this is a really really hard question i'm like knowing to like i'm trying to also like filter through the conversations that i've had with folks about this but it really is of like how how firm is my belief system and how closely is it connected to who i feel i am as a human and how i want to then bring people into my life who feel that way as well or step away from relationships that don't feel good anymore because of it like we can normalize relationships ending for those reasons. It's just, I think, making sure that we're checking in with ourselves around like the story that lives there and the reasons why that's happening, right? We've talked a lot today about like how to create and maintain connection and that's beautiful and I love that and that's like what I'm here for and, and you know what I wanna speak for. But I also just wanna give folks who may be struggling in that way that you just spoke for many, the space and the room to normalize that of it is so okay that things evolve and relationships evolve with them. yeah i think that's really interesting too just in terms of like there are those relationships that like aren't meant forever you know like there there is a sometimes a time and a place where they they come to a close for whatever reason sometimes some of them being values based maybe also it's an evaluation of why are you friends or connected with these people in the first place what was that serving you with too and like is that something you need to continue serving you going forward? Because I know sometimes I always call them peripheral friends. Like maybe it's not not the time or the place to kind of continue forward with that and that's okay. And we'll celebrate that for what it was and move towards other healthier things bringing, coming into our lives. Yeah, for sure. And there's like the, just as we're talking about this too, another piece of this puzzle might be to also recognize that the people that we're disconnecting from have their values for a reason too that like feels so true for them and so instead of we might take on this like wounded voice that says they are just x y and z criticism and i can't be friends with them anymore and that that's okay but there's feels like stuff that there's like unprocessed in that right versus this okay here's what we haven't talked about when we started this friendship and what we've learned about each other over time and then what that means for the relationship. But then there's that piece, right, that says, and I can also understand why this person, because of who they are and how they move in the world, might agree with X, Y, and Z. And, you know, I can have the conversation to kind of organize our whole conversation today. I can try to have these conversations in which we're understanding and trying to flex and be malleable with one another. And also so that I feel understood in this relationship where I am. And also it, it might be, ooh, I don't know if I feel connected in the same way anymore. And of course that's not what we want because again, we're, we're born into this world wanting connection and wanting them to last, right? But for the folks that are feeling like really harmed in those relationships, it's okay to step away. Yeah, absolutely. It's good to kind of like hear that perspective and then 
for like, I guess in closing notes, in terms of talking about politics as a whole in a healthy way, like for us, like we're trying to rebrand politics and make it a conversation that we can all have. It should be easy. It should be something where we can, you know, understand it and come to the table with knowledge and feel confident about it. But so oftentimes political topics and everything around that realm is so taboo. Like it's sort of like, okay, like let's just like not, you know, let's like talk about something else. How do we like make that a little less taboo? Like how do we shift the narrative and the conversation to make it like, okay, like this is a conversation that we can have. Like, is there anything you have advice on there? Yeah, so when thinking about hmm, why is politics and the conversation around politics taboo for our relationships. And I think it so much goes back to what we've been talking about here of like, we get nervous about the potential for conflict. And a lot of the times we organize away from that. Then I think there, for some folks, certainly not for all, there might be this piece of, and which is why truly I'm grateful to you both for doing the work that you're doing about rebranding it. But when we don't feel confident in speaking for something, I know for me personally, I don't want to put myself out there in a conversation that it feels like it's taking a risk and being vulnerable and sharing that, right? So I think a piece of this is too, like we're opening up so many information highways for how to have these conversations, which I hope transforms us from a taboo topic. But because it might be this balance between I don't know how, and also I'm scared that what happens when I do that makes for a nice recipe for a taboo subject. This is also really similar to like politics and sex kind of work in that same way of, I would imagine it's almost a similar framework, right? And why sex is not talked about at the dinner table. We don't, we don't want to rock the boat. We don't want to feel uncomfortable, so on and so forth. We don't want to seem like silly or feel judged. So to step back and say, well, why am I not talking about it? <laughs> right. And then potentially saying, and what do I want to learn more about so that I do feel okay talking about it? But also to know that it is so okay that we don't know how to talk about it and to have those safe spaces with folks who might know how to talk about it to say, I don't know how, but can you help me? It's so okay. Totally. I love that. It's a great closing note. Thank you. I mean, I feel like I have a hundred more questions. <laughs> like I could just keep going for hours, clearly, because this was this honestly is probably gonna have to be promoted as like Maddie's therapy session. But no, it was so helpful. Yeah, of course. Thank you both for having using the space that you have created to have this conversation because I think that there's so much anxiety felt over the last four years, but also this year in what the holidays are going to look like. And so even if this lands on the ears of one person and it connects for them, right? I hope that it helps. So thank you for allowing me to be here with you. This was so helpful. I feel enlightened and I have so many new strategies that I can't wait to put in place. So thank you so much for sharing all of your wisdom. And I personally am super excited for everyone to listen to this and have some new ways to go about things. And if this is the process that helps people talk about politics more and make it less taboo in the end, like, oh my God. We are solving the division in America right here. This is the bridge, yeah. Thanks for tuning in, guys. We will have 
an awesome new episode out next Wednesday. We're going to recap all of the crazy things that happened in 2020. So don't forget to tune in. Of course, make it easy for yourself and subscribe so you get those reminders. And of course, leave us a review, maybe rate us as well. You know, we appreciate it. So we'll see you on the other side. Toodles. Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.